0: to the Hyper Guy Motivational Podcast. I'm so lucky to have this wonderful USC professor. I've been bugging him for probably about a month and a half now, and so I'm so, so privileged to have him here today, Professor Marco Oros, and he's a professor of civil civil and environmental engineering and spatial sciences. He has a doctoral degree in computer science, a master's degree in computer science, a bachelor's degree in mathematics. He's the director of Information Sciences Institute at USC. uh, His research areas are security, data security, cybercrime, homeland security, port security, and among a million other things. And he is a a avid runner and he's a marathoner and he's a decathlete and he restores uh, classic cars. I bet you didn't know that I knew that, did you?
1: No, I didn't.
0: <laughs> so we have a lot of mutual f- friends, my friends. So um, but I want to thank you so much for being here. I I feel very, very privileged.
1: Oh, likewise. Likewise. And, and I love your intro. Very nice intro. <laughs> well,
0: thank you so much. So we'll get it going here. And um, first, I just want you to tell me about like, wh- where were you born and raised?
1: Uh, I was born in Denver, but raised in Golden, Colorado. Uh, you know, went to school there, you know, locally, and uh, um, you know, actually was in the in the neighborhood, uh, in and outside of Golden for the first 32 years of my life, and then uh, you know, which is which is just outside of Denver, so uh, uh, which was convenient because uh, you know I could work in Denver but live really in the foothills, so that was really really nice. So yeah, so uh, I'm a I'm a I'm a cowboy from Colorado, and I go back frequently, very much. Yeah.
0: and tell, do you have any brothers and sisters, and how was it growing up? Tell me a little bit about your childhood
1: Yeah, well, I had one brother unfortunately he he's passed away already uh uh due to complications, medical complications. He's a younger brother uh but you know it was a great uh childhood we We lived uh you know really in the foothills since so we had uh, several mesas to the to the east of us and we had the foothills and in the rocky mountains to the west of us. And and so, you know, when we were in school uh, as kids, we were we were in the mountains, we were all over the mountains. And uh, that was great. My dad, who was a a military policeman and a a computer operator for the Colorado Army Army National Guard. uh, There's a base right next to us. And so uh, you know he he had his weekends most of the time not all the time but on the weekends uh if we weren't in the local hills we were we were in the, the high country and uh uh so i spent a lot of time uh, outside outdoors you know learning about things lots of mistakes you know you know not to not to mess with uh, beavers and, and things like that yeah you, know, you learn things quickly
0: <laughs> so, so what was your relationship like with your father growing up and what kind of what kind of things and hobby wise did you do
1: well it was it was a, a very good relationship and um you know and it was tragic when when he passed away uh, some years ago uh that was a tough thing to to deal with but um you know, as I said, uh, it, you know, growing up, if I, w- if I wasn't in school or, you know, running track or playing football or something, uh, or my dad wasn't uh, doing drill, um, we were in the hills. And I mean, really uh, a lot. And so uh I grew up knowing my dad as as a, an adventurer. And, you know, we we tried everything, you know, canoeing, snowshoeing, cross country skiing, camping in the winter, camping in the summer. And, and so he made life fun. And, 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 so I use those, those are my outlets now um, in terms of hobbies, other than, you know, going in the mountains all the time uh, we were a working class uh, uh, family. And so we did all of our own repairs So our hobbies were fixing the house, fixing the cars, fixing the plumbing, trimming the trees, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So I learned to be a, Electrician and a plumber right. and a welder and a auto mechanic uh, by trial and error.
0: <laughs> so, and what was your relationship with uh, like with your mom? Uh,
1: it was uh, uh, very good. Um, in fact, it was, it was quite interesting. Uh, she's kind of really launched my career uh, in a sense. Now, my mother at that time was a high school dropout. Uh, you know, she dropped out of high school to raise the our, our family. And um, she did a lot of different kinds of odd jobs, as you can imagine, uh, because we lived paycheck to paycheck, literally all through the sixties. And it really, uh, I remember it as clear as a bell. Um, it, was, it was after the Tet Offense of 1968, you know, you know, Vietnam was, was raging, uh, but I think it was before 1970. I don't remember exactly what year it was, but I was either you know eight or nine or closing in on 10 years old. A lot of my friends had had brothers who were at least ten years older than them. Back then, families, you know, they could you, know, you could have fifteen years difference between siblings, and they were drafted, uh, and they came back from Vietnam in pretty bad shape. And and then a neighbor uh, was killed, and I was like shocked, you know. It you know, young kid, you know, you're near a military base, you, know, you hear things from your father about. People being deployed and, and then your neighbors are dying. And and I was I was very patriotic back then, even as I am now, but I was like, whoa, you know, I could be drafted. And so my mother, just out of the blue, said, Well, if you want control of your life, you got to defer that 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 drafting. I was thinking about draftment, you know, back when I was like eight, right? I was scared to death. And <laughs> she says, Well, you can defer it. And, and and have more control uh, over, over your destiny if you go to college. And so, and she said, and if you're going to go to college, you're going to have to get a scholarship because there's no way we could ever afford it. You know, now this is, you know, 10 years before I'd even be starting college. But that launched it, Martin. That, yeah, you know, my mom launched the direction I'm going. She probably didn't know it at the time and she may not even know it now, uh, but she did. But that. You know, profound statement, and and that really launched everything. You know, and it's been a series of tripping, but tripping forward ever since. Yeah, so,
0: that, yeah. I, I I love that story because she gave she told you, hey, we're not going to be able to afford this, and that, to have your insight at ten years old to actually absorb that and learn from that. So did that did. Did you have? Did you perform well in school prior to that? How were you doing in school at the
1: time? I, I was, I was okay. You know, I was an okay student. Um, you know, but I really didn't think about things. I thought, well, I'll just go in the army like my dad. You know, and really didn't think about it until you know you start realizing, oh, you know, uh, war is not uh, not like what I've what I've experienced locally. And you know, when you when you see. Your 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 friend's brother's coming back, and they're they're pretty messed up, uh, and they were they were messed up. Uh, I'm not saying everybody that came back from Vietnam was, but but these guys were. But it, of course, it was a culture we lived in too. We had a lot of challenges, as you can imagine, in a working class environment. You have a lot of social economic uh, stresses that can also contribute to difficulties. But when when a neighbor's son who you you, know, you grew up watching you know, races his, his 54 Chevy out in the field, you know, figure eight racing, and he's gone. Um, that's a shocker. That woke me up, yeah. And so then yeah. after that, I was really focused, razor focused on getting to college and getting a scholarship.
0: And, yep. and how, how was your dad in that process? I mean, how did your dad and mom get through those struggles when you were younger? Do you remember some of those experiences, you know, getting, like you said, the struggle that you had to go through every day?
1: Well, they were supportive, uh, particularly because uh, at, at that point when I realized, you know, I want to go to college, you know, and I still had, you know, nine years or so to, to get there. Um they they supported uh, i was going i was going to go, go in and become a commercial artist you know because i i could draw i love drawing and i was i was okay uh illustrator uh you know at least in my humble opinion and and i thought okay I'll, you know either athletics or an art or art scholarship because i was i was a runner even back then and i i knew i i i was a pretty pretty decent runner and so that's what i focused on and they were very supportive of that so when i uh, after uh, sixth grade, we went into what then was called junior high, uh, which was a three-year uh, effort, not 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 like middle school today, which is only two. And so, in seventh grade, I was already uh, entering sports, and so my my parents uh, tolerated that, and and especially in high school, because in high school, you know, the weekends are full of sporting events, as as you know, Sundays generally were were open, but but Saturdays you could pretty much you know count on it being you know full and and yet you know my parents who like to go in the mountains all the time tolerated that you know we worked around that because they knew I was trying to get get to uh, you know get out of high school get in get accepted into a college try to get a scholarship etc so they were very supportive extremely supportive yeah you know and when I had off days or I came home a bit down because uh, you know, uh, exam didn't go well. They were there to say, "Look, you know, shake it off. Let's let's you know, pick it up t- tomorrow. You know, tomorrow's a, another a new day." So yeah, so, it was very good.
0: So, so did you did you excel in high school? Yeah. yeah what so what sports did you play?
1: Oh, I did. You know, uh, gosh, everything. I did a little football. I did uh, cross country. I did track and field. I did some basketball. I did some wrestling. You know, this all started in junior high and into high school. So I did everything, you know, lettered and this and that. And, and you know, that looked that looked like that was the direction I was going to go. Because uh, a certain event occurred in my last year of junior high that pretty much put the kibosh on becoming a, an artist. And, and that was uh, when, when we didn't have an official ceremony. Going from junior high to high school, but you had to uh, one, make sure you you know, passed all your, your courses, you know, the, the minimum requirements, and you had to get uh, uh, basically you had a pre-register for courses. You know, back then there was no electronic registering, everything's done by paper, right? And and I put out all these art courses and these gym classes, and and I took the you know, the minimum amount of math and History and and and, uh, and biology, and, and two professors, not professors, two faculty members, uh, Mr. Kendall and Mr. Standard. I remember them well. They refused to sign my my pre-registration sheet. They said, "You're not taking all this stuff. You're going to take this, this, and this." And they were all the, you know, trigonometry and physics and and advanced biology and and I thought, "What are you doing?" You know, and and I thought, okay, you know, I need to sign this, otherwise I can't get into, into high school. And, and so my friends who had you know, other brothers who were already in high school said, don't worry about it, sign it, because you know, at the fall, there's, you have to re-register anyway. You go in the cafeteria, you wait in line, you go around, you sign up for classes, get the classes you want there. So I thought, fine, that's what I'll do. So I signed it and they signed it and I'm on my way to high school. Well, of course, high school. I show up, and I don't know if it was football or whatever practice I was in, but I was, you know, uh, just not before classes, but, you know, you have you know, two or three weeks before school, you get, you know, the preseason in. And, and, of course, my last name starts with an O, and it turns out the majority of people in my class had last names that were above me in the alphabetical order. And, of course, you show up at the cafeteria in alphabetical order. So I was already like going to show up in the afternoon. And of course I showed up late in the afternoon because of, of practice. And when I got in here, uh, you are right, not uh, a single art class was left. All of the basic math and history classes were signed up in full. And so I had no choice but to take the courses that Mr. Kendall and Mr. Standard insisted that I take. <laughs> and. And in the three years I was in high school, because we went, again, high school back then was three years long, I never took a single art course. In fact, I never even went in the art room. I knew where it was, sort of, on the campus, but I didn't quite know exactly what it looked like inside, because I never got there. And, oh, no. and, and we laugh. I laugh at it now, but back then, of course, it was a crisis that fall, it was 1976, and and I thought, oh my gosh, my my life is ruined. So I'll just focus on sports. Well, it turned out that Mr. Kendall and Mr. Standard knew something. They saw something because I loved engineering and science, and I excelled in high school. I had straight A's, and and so I, you know, I got to the end of, of the year, uh, you know, uh, senior year, and. I had I had choices. I had athletic scholarship choices. I had academic ones. And I had so burned myself out on running and weightlifting and you know everything else. And I had injuries. And I thought, you know, I don't know if I want to do this for my for a living. And I thought, you know, I could always walk on. And so I took an academic scholarship. And that's what I did. And
0: and it's just been so yeah. you did but, very well yeah. in high school. Yeah. Yeah. And you got a scholarship. And you, so you, you, what, what, I guess, what did you realize your passion was at that time?
1: Well, I didn't have it formulated yet. Okay. So that's really interesting. You, you, you know, a lot of people Martin have, you know, this drive, oh, I want to be a professor, or I want to be a business person, or I want to be a professional athlete. Um, I didn't have that. Uh, I think I was more driven by survival. I I I I just you know I I didn't want to I wanted to have as much choice flexibility that I could because I knew you know all my friends they if they didn't graduate from high school they barely did and they were. They were pretty locked into you know the life that they were going to live and there's nothing wrong with being working class believe me all my family are and you know i have nephews that work in mining operations stuff It's good it's good work it's just that i i just i just wanted to try something else and so survival was you know driven to get into college to do well in college to get a good job afterwards so that I, I would have a career that I could rely on that didn't rely, it you know, didn't require a lot of physical labor where, you know, if you get injured, you're out of luck. You know, I thought my mind, you know, I, can, I can always rely on that. And so that was, that was sort of the driver, but it really it was, you know, survival. And, and so as, as you may, may know, my career is zigzagged a lot you know there has not been a straight vector here it's it's been a bunch of tripping forwards as i i like to call my my life of opportunities that came that i tripped over i just happened to trip on the right side and I, oh well, that's interesting let's go after this and so that's did, where did, i'm at
0: you know <laughs> did did you work in college
1: yes i did okay so I did walk on and tried some sporting, uh, I tried to track and field, but I, I still had some problems with my, my injuries. So what I did <laughs> is I, I, I was a full-time student. I bowled a lot. I was a bowler and I worked on cars and I worked every opportunity I could to generate funds to support my hobbies, which were automobiles old Jeeps. In fact, I I worked on old Jeeps. And, and so, you know, Christmas break, I worked. Uh, Spring break, I worked. The summer I worked and I worked all kinds of odd jobs. I worked in mining operations and plumbing, uh, factories, uh, you know, drove forklifts, front end loaders, dump trucks. Uh, uh, You know, again, uh, relearned welding, you know, uh, just, you know, jobs that that uh, were there and, and, and jobs I knew I could do. And, and, uh, that's what I did. So I worked to supplement my hobbies and, and, and dating and everything else. And, uh, and then once I graduated in 1983 from the Colorado school of mines, I, uh, after that I've worked full-time since even through my masters and my PhD program, I worked full-time.
0: Wow. So I, yeah, I just <laughs> so work so
1: ethic of so. the working class.
0: Wow. That's amazing. And so you, so you, after you got your, 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 I guess you got a bachelor's of science in mathematics, I assume.
1: So I got a BS in what they they called mathematical engineering. So I'm really, I'm an engineer. Okay. With, with some emphasis on, uh, on, on the mathematical side of engineering, but you know, for all intents and purposes, uh, mechanical, electrical, civil engineering, uh, mining engineering, I've, you know, geophysical engineering. I have a little, little knowledge in all those areas it was sort of a you know, again this idea of, of survival and flexibility being able to jump into one discipline or another well that that mathematical engineering degree allowed me to do that
0: I could but, but, but no I art.
1: could be a chameleon
0: but but no more art huh
1: <laughs> no art to this day I uh Yeah. No. (laughs) Maybe when I Uh, retire. Oh my God!
0: (laughs) Well, let me ask you this: So, um, did you decide to go? You said you you worked full time when you got your master's and your doctorate, which is amazing, um, because those are significant challenges. Um, Where did you work while going to get your master's and your PhD?
1: Yeah. So, good. Good question. Uh, So, you know, when I when I graduated from Mines. I went to work in the mining industry, and of course, again, my life is, just, you know, trips. Right? It was it was '82 and '83 when the oil shale uh, boom collapsed, and you know, petroleum jobs were rare. Uh, they were mostly, you know, uh, abroad or or in Texas and other areas. And, and so, you know, I went into mining, and, and even there, uh, it was a depressed economy for mining. And then I tra- so I transitioned from there into a, an energy consulting company, and uh, and that was that was a remarkable uh, event actually, uh, another milestone, because I was hired on to work uh, on improving steam generation on military bases around the world, and part of that job also required that I be a systems manager of their of their data systems, their computer. They had a little uh, mini mini computer and. Etc. Etc. And I had learned how to, you know, develop software when I was at Mines, but that job really led me to believe that I had. I came to a point where I thought I wanted to go to the Olympics and run the 800 meters. And and I thought, okay, I'm at this point. This is about 1986, early 86. And I thought. I've got a shot, I think, but I have to do this full-time, right? You know, you, I mean, uh, athletes that go to, to the Olympics, it's, it's a full-time job. You work to support that, that, uh, that effort, not the other way around. And, and, I, and I just thought, you know, it's either that or go and, and get a master's in computer science because I recognize computer science is the future. I saw it. You know, we were doing everything we did. Came back to relying on that on that computer, you know, whether it was storage, or it was computations, or even word processing. The very beginnings of word processing were 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 starting to to, to come out back in the mid '80s. And so, I and the thing was, I hated running the 800 meters. I hated it. I was I was good at it, but I hated it. I hated it. But I thought, why are you going to go down something that you hate? that you have a remote possibility of being the best in the world. I was about two, two and a half seconds behind, you know, the best in the world, which, you know, you think that's oh, nothing, but it is something, you know, when, you know, we're talking 20 yards and, or, you know, 20 meters and you know, that's a lot. And I thought, this is stupid. So I gave, I gave that up, you know, that pursuit. And I don't regret that at all. And and I went. I, I said, "I'm going to go get that master's. So I applied to uh, University of Colorado, and and it was accepted. And then through a, a series of different jobs, that I you know I kept moving around a lot, um, which is you know common today, but back then it was a, it was quite that common. But I moved around, and I also went, I went to school at night, and I got that master's finally in in 1991 while I was working at uh, TRW Space and Defense doing uh, you know, classified mm-hmm. work, which which really got me launched into the intelligence community. Yeah, so it's another major event to happen, just, just tripping, you know?
0: And yeah, the,
1: reason TR, the reason I got to TRW is because one of the hiring managers there uh, was in one of my classes at mine. She went back to get her master's and we had a class together and we got to know each other and then, you know, five years later or so, she says, Mike, you know, we need somebody with your background. You had to get cleared and all that, which wasn't going to be a problem because my dad was was cleared and I knew the process. And so I went. So, you know, just opportunities. It just, you know, there was no plan. It just happened.
0: And then and you went and while you were working there, you went to pursue your PhD.
1: So what happened then is um, Again, another major event and, and and very important person in my life, uh, my wife, uh, I, met, I met Nina in 1988 and she was doing a postdoc at, uh, at Boulder, uh, University of Colorado Boulder, uh, in uh, kinesiology and we met at a, at a friend's uh, birthday party, common friend, and she had just accepted a position in Montreal. And I thought, you know, oh no, someone I finally have met who, who I really think could be, you know, the one, and she's going to be moving 2,000 miles away in a foreign country. Not that, you know, I mean, Canada is a great country, but they, but they are a country, right? They're not the U.S. And and we're going, and she's going into a predominantly French-speaking part of the country. And I thought, well, here I go. So for three years every month, I do an extended uh, uh, weekend in Montreal, and we dated long distance. And then we got married. And during the last year that she did her, her, uh, her uh, effort there at uh, McGill University in Montreal, uh, we needed to find a place where we both could live uh, back in the States. And that was LA, because she had applied to SC, SC hired her. So she's going to, moved back to LA. I could transfer over with TRW because, you know, we were part of Redondo Beach down here. That just happened to be the Denver operations. And, but she said, you know, why don't you take some time and get a PhD in computer science? You like the research, you like doing your master's, um, give it a shot. So I applied to UCLA and, and, you know, I was in my early 30s. I was 31. Yeah, I was 31. And they accepted me. And I thought, oh my gosh, surprise, surprise. And so when I moved out uh, with, with Nina, it's LA. And by the way, we moved out uh, on the day of the of the, of the 92 riots. <laughs> Great choice. Uh, I mean, literally, you know, most people I think would have ran, but we <laughs> said, we're committed. We're here. So we showed up and uh and I was probably, it was the best thing I did. I spent, you know, at the beginning of, of, of my PhD, I got interested in modeling uh, how humans perceive color vision. So I got to learn about the hum, human visual system, the inner and outer plexiforms of the retina and all the different uh, layers of cells, the horizontal, bipolar, amacrines, and on and on and on and on and in the higher levels of, of the visual system, and using artificial neural nets, trying to understand how we can decipher different colors. Unfortunately, and again, my life is full of these unexpected events, uh, my my advisor passed away from cancer. And it was during this time also that uh, a friend of, of my wife's, uh, her husband, he was a senior vice president at Sony Pictures. And they wanted to pull together this technology called Sony Dynamic Digital Sound. It was, it was the beginning of digital cinema. At that time, it was digital audio. And he knew that I was a, a, a software developer with the Defense Department. And I was you know getting my PhD in computer science. So he, he gives me a call. He, he says, Hey, you know, uh, we need a guy to d- design, develop, deploy, sustain, do the whole, the whole vertical stack <laughs> for this, this new technology. And I said, sign me up. So I, I transitioned from TRW to, to Sony, and I was, I was a hired gun, um, and I started writing code. And, and that, that technology won an Academy Award in 96 for Scientific Achievement. And you know, and I was I was there. I was you know, it was like, how did this happen? That's That's <laughs> and, in, and in the middle of that, you know, my my professor, uh, my advisor, passed away from cancer. And I was sort of drifting. I was thinking, well, maybe I am not going to finish the PhD because I, I I just wasn't quite sure where to go. And I, I worked over in uh, physiological sciences uh, in a lab to help them with their IT uh, equipment, and then I started modeling you know, cat locomotion, how, how cats walk forces and stuff. Anyway, fun stuff, but, you know, no money in it. Um, and, and a senior member of the, of the computer science department heard that I was working digital audio in Hollywood. And he had just landed a project funded by NASA and and the U S air force to improve cockpit communications and and other types of mission critical communications during a mission critical event and what happened was up at Edwards Air Force Base uh, at the NASA Dryden uh, space research or, uh, aircraft uh, research center the X31 which is an experimental airframe crashed and it crashed uh, for a variety of reasons but one of the main issues was uh, people couldn't hear each other uh you know everybody's talking over different channels and so this uh my my future uh advisor who became the dean of the of a school he uh walter karpless he says i need somebody to to come up with technology to help with people communicating during a mission critical environment and so our event and so i said okay i'll I'll take it because it was similar to digital audio that i was working on and sure enough that's what i did so during from 95 through 99 while working at sony and working on my research i spent a lot of time at edwards and and i was at there martin but i was surrounded by three sr-71 blackbird spy planes and f-16s f-18s f-15s these are all test beds and chase planes I I mean, I was around this stuff every day and, and, you know, I mean, it was, it was just an incredible experience.
0: Go ahead. Hey, Mike, Michael, how did you manage all that? You were, you were working for Sony, you were doing research at at the base and you were getting your PhD. What was your life and and a marriage, a new marriage? Um, What was that like for you?
1: Well, it was, it was busy as you, as you can imagine. I, I think, you know one thing I will say up front you know we don't have children and that's you know I mean I mean people that raise a family, my gosh, you know and, and have a job that's just phenomenal i i don't i don't even I can't imagine even doing that that's just incredible uh, that said, you know my my wife is also a workaholic and she was working towards getting tenure so if you know that process mm-hmm. it's it's quite uh, intense. You're you're doing an enormous amount of research and trying to land funding and teaching all at once. So we both were, you know, very busy, and and between all that and working out, because I, I continued to, to train and work out because I wanted to stay fit, thinking that maybe I'll get into something else later, which I which I did, which was triathlons, and then uh, and then marathoning. Um, we were just busy, just just very busy. And but it worked out because it gave me time to sort of, you know, think about where I where I want to go. And and it was from all of that, that that digital audio experience, both at Sony Pictures, as well as with the uh, NASA Air Force project that really got me into the area of human factors. You know, how how do humans interact with 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 computers and and other automated uh, or semi automated systems and. And that's what led me to, to USC. You know, I, I was kind of thinking, man, I might go back after I graduated uh, with my PhD from, from um, US, UCLA. I had no intentions of going into the university. I had no intentions of being a professor. I thought, okay, I've learned a lot. I have some ideas. I'll go back into industry and, uh, and and go from there, like, you know, just basically I, I spent seven years out of it. Well, I didn't really out of it. I was working it. But but now I'd be full time again. And and then I got a phone call in 2001 from the dean at, at USC uh, or not USC, UCLA, uh, my former uh, Ph.D. advisor, Walter Karplis. And he said, you know, Mike, uh, I know you're, you're, you're back in industry. You're still working at Sony, but you're I know you're thinking about going you know, back into, into the defense industry, you know, either. At that point, it'd be Northrop or somebody. He says, "You know, SC has this uh, research institute called the Information Sciences Institute, and they're down in Marina Del Rey, and they're looking for a human factors guy to work on a Marine Corps project." And he says, "You know, that it's you. You you know the military. You know, you know, you know human factors." He says, uh, "I'll make a phone call and." you know, so he did. And then that's when I met another significant individual in my life. His name is Robert Natchez. He was my boss at ISI until until he finally retired. And and Bob recognized something because uh, he recognized, well, gee, Mike, yeah, you, you're human factors, but but you also have, you know, you can manage, you can run projects. And so I ended up, doing less research and a lot more managing projects but but that was quite an experience because of course 9-11 occurred and then you know we were in afghanistan and and again i'm working with the marines on on technology to help improve combat efficiency for marine (laughs) aviation units so i was hanging around with uh Harrier gun squadrons, okay? Harriers, you know, the, the aircraft at that time lifted vertically and land vertically. Uh, they've been usurped now by the F-35B, but, but you know, this was fun. This is fun stuff. And so I, uh, I was with them, and then uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom came along, and uh, the Marines wanted to deploy our technology with, with uh, the 1st Marine Expeditionary Brigade, the 1st MEB, uh, and so in January of, of 2003, I was on the USS Bonham Richard heading to to the Persian Gulf. <laughs> wow. I, I, you know, I, you know, no one plans these things, Martin. This just happens, you know. And uh, as I said, I tripped forward and that was a remarkable experience uh, crossing the Pacific and, and watching, uh, you know, air operations and getting to know the infantry who uh, were really the tip of the spear. I mean, they were gonna be the first to go in. And, you know, that experience just, I've, I've gotten so much mileage out of that, you know, since then, cause it's its really, it allowed me to really fit in DOD operations from a researcher's perspective. And so, um, you know, from there we went to, uh, you know, I had a NASA project with the uh, space station and the space shuttles. We did that, and then DHS was stood up, and a bunch of stuff with the port security and and infrastructure security, uh, and then then I got into smart grids. And you know, anyway, I can so, go on and so on and on.
0: So that so that's a good segue. Um, how did how did you? I know that you're into anti-terrorism um, programs, and um, you're doing those kind of you have those kind of specialties. Um, how is it working in that environment, especially with cybercrime stuff? And um, how did you get into that? And um, is it as big of a threat as people talk about?
1: Sure, good question. Uh, I I I got into you know domestic uh, uh, you know, homeland security. Through through USC, uh, USC was the very fir- had the very first center of, of academic excellence established by the Department of Homeland Security. It was called CREATE, the Center for Risk and Economic Analysis of Terrorism Events, and and they needed uh, you know computer science uh, 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 members to help with with the data, and so that's how I really got in. Just again, just happened to be available and. Thought, you know, that's an interesting uh, area. I think I'll, you know, I'll go in and explore. And so that's how I got in it. And because of, of you know, ISI, which is the Information Sciences Institute, you know, we're a, a fairly well-known cybersecurity uh, organization. I mean, we've been with with the internet and cyber uh, world since it started. And so it's just, it was natural that we would apply cybersecurity, uh, uh, research at the center, and and that's where another fella who you and I both know uh, that really helped. And that was Errol Suthers, uh, Chief. I call call Errol Chief, and and I know you you've talked to him in, in the past. And Errol saw something that really launched another part of me, and that is he saw that I could teach, and so. He helped me get guest lecture in his courses, as well as his help lecture. You know the LAPD and, and other law enforcement on cyber crime and cybersecurity and 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 in the intelli- intelligence community in general. Uh, and so that's how I got in there. Really, it was Errol that really helped make that happen. And um, and so quite to your second question, you know how how. how critical is cybersecurity and how how vulnerable we are. And I will say that, it, you know, it is the number one threat vector, in my opinion. Um, we, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually teaching uh, later tonight, you know, a, a, a module on cybersecurity and, uh, you know, just just spear phishing alone, fishing and spear phishing alone. Uh, you know, as much as, as, as we as users try not to get taken in, it's so easy to and and then once you know once they have you, you know, you're you're done and we have old systems old SCADA systems these are systems that interact the computer with with physical devices you know they're vulnerable you know the internet itself is quite vulnerable though there's been steps to, to strengthen it here and air but you know we we really you know this is this is a a warfare it's a it's a it's a theater we don't see most people don't see it but it's there and, and and we have i won't call them adversaries we call them competitors who uh you know are going to use everything they can to to uh, to hurt us either economically or or you know from a security perspective or public health uh, perspective and so and as we become more and more reliant on digital technologies um, that vulnerability just continues to increase so it's, yeah it's a it's, challenge
0: is it advancing faster than we can keep up with it?
1: Good question, Martin. And and in my humble opinion, there's there's a curve. It's technology, and it's growing exponentially. And then there's a curve of where human knowledge is growing. And it's not growing exponentially. It's growing barely linearly. It's it's below linear in some cases we're just we can't stay we can't keep up and so the question will be how do we deal with this do we use tech against tech well there's all kinds of ethical uh, and moral complications there that that we're going to have to to understand but um yeah it's moving so fast and it's not just our knowledge it's policies and regulations that govern cyber the cyber world and you know the cyber physical world they're not keeping up to date you know they're falling quickly behind and so it's it's a real challenge it's a growth industry i mean if people are listening want to know you know get a job you know cyber cyber security is a good place to be
0: <laughs> is, is there any advice you can give somebody um one how they would get into the you know studying this kind of field and yeah. number two number two is it's a little farther Further on in terms of the relationship of the question is, um, what can we do to protect ourselves?
1: Yeah, good, good questions. Well, if 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 you want to get a career, have a career in uh, cybersecurity, I mean, you really uh, you know take you know math, science, you know, learn about uh, algorithms, you know how how things you know step by step procedures to solving things. Uh, so you can do this in high school, you know, or middle school, even even better. Uh, if you're already out, there, there are plenty of trade schools and 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 also uh, universities and, and colleges that offer a, a curriculum for for a cyber degree. You know, you, you can get a two year degree in in cybersecurity in many institutions around the country. Uh, so really, you just have to want to do it, and 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 you may have to take some prerequisites to to get in, but you know, really uh, it's there and, and and it's not like there's, you know, there's no jobs, <laughs> there's, there's plenty. Uh, I mean, really, there's just plenty of them. Uh, you just gotta, you just gotta go and do it. Um, you know, a PhD in computer science, you know, that's a different approach, but we definitely need more PhDs in computer science. You know, we really do. So, so yeah, so, so you know, what steps to take uh, to prevent? Well, you know, uh, one, Never click on URLs or download EXE files. I mean, just simple common common sense things. But remind yourself of that every day because we we slip, right? We slip into patterns, and and a lot of times we we slip into bad habits when it's an emergency. You know, you get an email from a an old friend that says he's stuck in you know some country and needs you to wire money or something. You know, you you, you stop, stop. You know. Find out what's really going on. Uh, definitely keep your systems up to date with the latest you know, virus detection technologies. And I would recommend going uh, up to the Department of Homeland Security to their uh, 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 cyber and infrastructure uh, website and just stay in touch with that because it, it, it announces the latest types of attacks, which ones are occurring most often, uh, etc. Uh, other areas? You know, I know everybody uses a credit card or a debit card for payments. You might want to curtail that, you know, maybe use cash sometimes because the more, you know, every point of sale, that's where, you know, you use your, your credit card. Uh, that's a vulnerability. And, and yeah, you're, you're, protected, but you know, that's information that gets out, you know, behavior, et cetera. Yeah. I, I would. You know, another thing, too, is passwords and usernames. You know, don't use the same one on every account. Change your username, change your passwords, make sure they differ, and do it often, at least with the user or with the passwords. What will happen if you use it, the same username and password for multiple accounts. If one of those accounts is ever um, exposed and the username and password are known, now, now the, uh, the, uh, the criminal, we'll just call them criminals, uh, can use that, all the other types of accounts. That's called uh, 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 um, credential stuffing. And, you know, so just be, be aware, be cognizant that every time you're on a computer or on a, on a smartphone, you know, you're vulnerable. Text messaging, for example, it's not encrypted. So what you say is is open to anybody who's who can get access to that pipeline. Uh, you know I mean, you know use HTTPS, okay when you go to a website because at least you know it's an encrypted message. you know the header is not encrypted, so people know you're you're accessing you know Bank of America, but they don't know what the content of your of your uh, uh, message is. So I mean just a really yeah. simple steps.
0: You know. it's, it's 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 scary. It's scary what people have access to, and um, yeah. I think a lot of us get comfortable and don't realize that they can they can, you know, they can mine that data and use it against you. Right, right. And, um, yeah, it's, what, it's taking advantage of behavior. Yeah, I have a, a former, actually, a former student of yours named Vince. Um, that actually, he he really, uh, I had you for a class, and then he he said, hey. Mike Michael's great. You got you to gotta have him on the podcast. And one of the questions that he had was, um, how do you deal with some of the things you have to see and deal with on the dark web? And maybe you can explain really quickly what the dark web is. But he also says, how, does that, how do you align some of the stuff that you do with your own faith?
1: With my faith? Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, well, okay. So first of all, what is the dark web? It's 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 part of the web. It's it's part of the internet. It's just that uh, it's a small area of the internet where most individuals can't get to because one, they don't know the URLs and two, they don't have a a special web browser that will will you know convert the the URL into the appropriate internet addresses to, in order for you to get to that space. Okay, there's a there's an area there's a domain called dot onion and tor which is uh, one of those web browsers that allow you to get there you you need to really use those to gain entry uh then what you find down there it's, it's pretty much unregulated right i mean it's you know anything goes uh i mean truly anything goes i mean you can buy illegal drugs you can purchase uh you know machine guns um yeah there's there's processes you have to go through but you know it's not trivial but but it can be done and and you see hate everywhere there's there's blog after blog after blog of hate and of filth and it it it's demeaning and and sometimes when i'm i'm teaching in class about how to safely enter the dark web and exit the dark web as part of open source intel open source intelligence we call osint um i am a bit concerned that some of the material that i'm just presenting to class is quite offensive so i have to give warnings you know that this is i'm just going to show you a few things not everything of course just to give you an idea of of what's down there so if if you're doing research or you're law enforcement and you're trying to collect information on a say a hate group you know this is how you do it without giving away who you are and, and to do it legally uh, again, I want to make it very clear: everything we teach at USC is is all is all legal. And you know, so how do you deal with that from a faith perspective? Um, I think you know, Martin. I'm I'm am I'm a Presbyterian. I, uh, my wife and I we go to, we go to church. And uh, you know, life is what it is. Um, there's there's good and bad, and I, I think you know, there's hope. There's always hope. Every time you think things are bleak you see something, you, you run across something that that really gives you hope that, you know, we're not, we're not at the end of times, that we have challenges and difficulties and yes, there's hate and filth everywhere, especially down the dark web, uh, but they're still good people. And, you know, and even when you, when you hear about groups wanting to shut down certain sites, right? Uh, you know, I, that's encouraging. It means people are are being proactive. They're trying to, to to get us back on on a, on a, on a you know uh, field where, you know we show respect, etc. So that's what drives me. That's what keeps me going. Because otherwise, you know, you can easily get depressed uh, mm-hmm. reading stuff. You know, it's just oh, yeah. Well,
0: let me let me ask you this: What would the adult self tell? the young, Michael, in terms of advice in life?
1: Oh, that's a good question, uh, Martin. Uh, I didn't think about that one. Uh, I think I would advise, uh, I wouldn't change this idea of being flexible to, you know, to to, to maneuver and whatever is, is quite interesting. I think I would have advised being a bit more patient at times, and maybe a little more forgiving, you know, of oneself and and others. You know, maybe you know, I I, not maybe I know uh, that can can weigh on on a person, and it's not healthy. And I would say that, you know, if I had to go back to 1968, you know, when I first was thought about going to college, I say stay true to those beliefs, do the right thing, you know, do the best you can, look for opportunities. And when things don't quite work out the way, way you thought they were gonna work out, that's okay. You're gonna go down a different pathway. But just keep going because you will get you will you will you will find happiness by doing that. But but be patient with with, with people. I would tell myself, be a little more
0: patient. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's great. So. Advice, great advice. Yeah. And I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a few. Uh, these are my my last seven or eight minutes, so I get to rapid fire you a little okay. bit. you sure. do <laughs> <I>, uh, <laughs> So I know, I know. Uh, you never know what I'm gonna ask. Um, again, Vince said to ask you, Do you think Lincoln Riley will turn USC around?
1: Oh. <laughs> uh, yes. I think that was a good hire.
0: Yes. Okay. Um, so let me. Uh, do you still enjoy marathoning? And uh, do you ever feel that? Like, feel like you ever missed out on being a decathlete? Going back and doing that. Do you ever feel like that?
1: Uh, no, I don't have any regrets of decisions going back. I still run marathons, but I will tell you, uh, my feet are starting to hurt some, so I, I may be curtailing that. Uh, so, I'll take up swimming.
0: <laughs> and then, um, what kind of cars are you restoring right now? Uh,
1: well, okay, I, I just finished working on a friend of mine. Uh, uh, she had a, a, a 1967 Mercedes Benz 300 uh, SE Cabriolet, okay, one of only 700 ever made. Uh, it has a mechanical fuel injected six cylinder and an air suspension, okay, air suspension. And and, and it was that was that was incredible. I helped get it get it back to running in, in reasonable shape uh, for it to be uh, used in parades. And uh, there's a uh, my dad had a 52 M38. That's a flat fender military Jeep that uh, uh, I'm about ready to, to start uh, working on to restore back to its okay. original glory. <laughs>
0: uh, your favorite film.
1: Oh gosh! Ooh, uh, I, I, there's too many. But I will tell you, the one that that comes to mind right now is Brad Pitt and Fury, the Sherman tank. I, 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 I enjoy that film.
0: Um, a, yeah. Okay, here we go. Um, if you could meet anyone, you know this is going to come. If you could meet <laughs> anyone in the world. Okay, uh, and, and uh, who would it be, and what would you say to him?
1: Actually, I would like to meet Joe Biden. I, I would like to meet him, and I would like to say, I would actually ask him, uh, not to ask him. I would just comment that I think, uh, and I'm a Republican. Uh, I think he's doing a pretty good job given a very difficult situation that he's under, and and I said, just hang in there. Uh, I I think I feel for him. Uh, you know, he's getting hit left and right, up and down. You know, all presidents do, but it seems like right now he's really getting hit. And I just want to say, Joe, go Joe! Don't don't and, give up.
0: And what is left on this bucket list of yours? Because you've done so much <laughs> in your life already. I don't know if there's much left, but what is left? Give me a couple of things in your bucket list.
1: I'm actually uh, I want to do a little more teaching uh, and, and and but free up a little more time to do some more traveling with my wife um, and do some more, you know, work on some more cars. But I think the big, big item um, is I want to do more mission work. And and uh, I, I until COVID-19 hit, I was cooking at a veteran shelter once once every month for 14 years. And. You know, and I made meatloaf and stuff, and I worked with another team, a group of people, and and I found that so rewarding. And, you know, for me, it helped, and and I'm hoping it helped the vets. Um, I would like to do that bigger, you know, get more involved. And so I think from a bucket list perspective, that's really, I'm looking to do that sometime here in my, in my 60s, as I start to close out, you know, the, my chapter of, of working, you know, nonstop, uh, I want to transition, I think, in that direction, take, take advantage of, of, of that. So that's, that's really what I'm thinking of doing.
0: Yeah. Well, well, I want to thank you so much for for being here. This has been really enjoyable. Uh, oh, I could probably I could go on a, a few more hours with you for sure because there's a million things no. I, have, I have like a million other questions like I always do. And well, I, I appreciate appreciate. I think
1: I talk too much, but no, no,
0: it was it was absolutely wonderful. And um, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, is there a way for them to get a hold of you? Or um, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, my email address, uh, as you can imagine, I'm. That's so all I do is check that thing every day. Uh, I'll give you the one I know is uh, that that for sure is safe. <laughs> and that's my ISI email. So it's it's M as in Michael, D as in Delta, O as an Oscar, R as in Romeo, O as an Oscar, uh, S in Sierra, and Z as in Zulu at ISI.edu.
0: Yeah. And, and you can look
1: me up in the, at USC. You can find me.
0: So Yeah, you're all over the web. You're all over the web in a good way. And um, thank you again for being here. And Brian, Mr. Uh, our producer, Brian Garcia, thank you so much for being here and, and uh, producing this, Brian. And catch us on our next podcast. And if you like what you're hearing, please give us good reviews on Apple and it's on all the major um, podcast platforms. And again i would love to have you on again someday you've you've done uh, amazing things in your life and you're quite an inspiration and that's why we, i wanted to have you on here uh, amazing um, life keep it is not, it's not the story's not ended yet so keep no, it going michael
1: no. all right you have a good day and thank you take for care the opportunity. god bless
0: you take care
1: you too